Dickie. It's the summer of love. You're entering a cosmic void. Welcome to a cosmic void. I'm Biggs. I'm Jeremiah. Stan from Terminal Nation. Thank you so much for joining us again, Stan. Uh, you might recall Stan was in episode one talking about the thing, and we brought up you should come back on to talk about the Sopranos movie, and you totally did. Yeah. And not only that, you went the extra mile, and I just want to let the audience know because we had technical problems. We were going off of three different computers, and one of them crashed, and so Stan was kind enough to reschedule for two days later. So thank you so much again for that stand really appreciate it no problem it's my pleasure to be on with you fellas so usually we talk about the history with the movie but since we're doing a brand new movie what's your history with the sopranos stan so i'm uh pretty new to the sopranos universe um i'm about 20 years late during quarantine over the past year i kind of binge watched it so i'm, I'm pretty uh, entry level familiar familiarity familiarity is that <laughs> familiarity whatever but i'm pretty entry level with sopranos i love it it's a great show but i'm not one of these folks who's been watching it you know repeatedly for the last 20 years still very new to me probably one of my favorite shows still rather new to me how about you jeremiah same there was actually this weird thing that that was happening with hbo with when quarantine hit a bunch of people started watching the sopranos and that's like oh yeah that's what happened with me too is like uh quarantine hit and i'm just like scrolling through hbo on lockdown and i'm like oh i guess i'll try to watch the sopranos i actually stopped watching it after the first episode because i did not like it and then I rewatched the first episode and then I was like, I could get into this. It's so weird because like when I first watched it, there were so many things I didn't like about it. And now it's like, I actually really like all the things I didn't like about it. I'm almost done with my second uh, run through of it. So, Oh, nice. I need to start it back up myself. So I've been reading a lot of interesting thought pieces about The Sopranos and they're saying, and I don't know, maybe you guys can speak to this because they're directly talking about your guys' yeah, ages, but yeah. uh, people around the <laughs> pandemic who are in their 20s have been rediscovering or discovering really The Sopranos and saying that part of it is it's like the death of America is kind of resonating with everybody. <laughs> Do you think there's something to that? I could see that. I could see that. Um Especially in the last, well, really in the last few years, but uh, there's been a lot of things in America that have kind of felt like they're outside of our control, outside of our grasp. So to kind of live vicariously through some of the Soprano characters, you know, Tony or Polly or whatever, and just be like, man, I wish I could just do whatever I want. I wish I could just run shit. Kind of an interesting dichotomy, especially in the last year where we've all felt so helpless. I think we kind of can maybe not relate, but be... Uh, envious of some of their positions for sure when i was in my 20s that was definitely my hook into gangster movies was just like i love the idea of being able to do anything you wanted even though i'm not that guy sure i love the idea of it like i i would also live vicariously in like goodfellas godfather movies scarface like that was all my jam oh, for yeah. sure uh in my 20s i still like them but not as much as i liked them in my 20s man <laughs> like 
Sure, sure. The Sopranos for me, I basically think it was right before the third season started. I was in the middle of a move and a friend of mine, a guy named Sean Long, actually, he was telling me like, this is a really great show. You should check it out. And I was like, well, I don't have HBO right now. And he was like, well, I'll tell you what, I got the first two box sets because this was when DVDs first started to really become affordable where everybody could get them. And so he's like, why don't you check it out? So I was like, all right. So I watched the first episode and I was like, eh, like it was wasn't great, but it was good enough for me to watch a second one. And then I just got hooked and I watched all 13 all in one day immediately, <laughs> like the next day. Cause I was boxing up stuff, watching it the next day. I like tore into the next box set, finished that in a day. And then when the third season started, I was watching it live from then on out. In fact, this is what a like crazy person I was with the Sopranos right before the fourth season started. I rewatched the first three seasons <laughs> and then like the, nice. like each season I would rewatch everything before it started. And then about the fifth season, was when on demand became a thing and so i would like watch it by myself and then i would watch it with a friend later so i was watching the new ones (laughs) new as well as like catching up again with the season so i think the season i've seen the least is like season six i think most of the episodes i've seen like three times like season one i've seen i don't know seven to ten times like just a a crazy amount of times i love this show in particular i love the first three seasons yeah i I was gonna say the first three are like Top notch. I mean, you got Ralphie, the fucking the most evil scumbag in the world, and who's uh, also in season four. Like he dies in season four. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just, oh man, there's just so much shit. Isn't Steve Buscemi debuts in season three, right? He de- he debuts in season oh, yeah. five as an actor, but he directs it. I think from either the first or second season okay, on, he I directs one worried. episode a year. He did the Pine Barrens episode, which for my money is the greatest episode of TV. Just straight period. up, yes, I, I yes. love that. What's episode. that one again? That's the one with the Russian. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, for because sure. it's so funny and it's so beautiful and it's like it's just so many things. It's also lowbrow and highbrow humor. Like it has everything. Yes, it's the one that when I try and get people into the Sopranos. I skip the pilot episode. And I'm like, watch this. And then when they watch that, they almost always want to see more and they jump into the series. It is like a peak show and it's its peak episode, you know? So uh, it's fantastic. But let's jump into the movie. So Dickie Moltisante has a new hot young stepmom and a nephew without direction, as well as a runner who wants to run the game. Will it all collide when he doesn't have Junior's back? You're entering the void. The plot synopsis I have doesn't include the first part, which I really want to talk about. Yeah, just right. Which is uh, the walking through the graves and having the people talk and kind of being like, Yes, this is why I went to hell for Tony and this and that and this and that. And, you know, you have Chrissy in the background and everyone. I actually predicted this beginning, but I thought it was going to be Carmella. No, I thought it was going to be Tony's death and they were all going to be gathered and like talking about like, 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 you know, reminiscing on like, wow, when Tony was a kid, fucking, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so it was, it was interesting to have that still be a thing kind of for me, like they're in the future and then, you know, homaging the TV show. And I think it was such, such a great choice to have Chrissy come back to and do the voiceover posthumous uh narration is really cool like he's like oh tony the guy that killed me and i was like huh interesting it wasn't like you know in real time it was like from post-death i thought that was a very interesting 
perspective. Yeah, I really dug that as as well because it's like basically Chrissy just talking about Tony and his dad, and you know, I, I even like how I guess we'll get to that next part that I was thinking about later. But uh, yeah, I really like this beginning. Um, I I did want to say so they film scenes with Edie Falco. Uh, who played Carmela, and they didn't use any of them because that was initially supposed to be the beginning. And whatever they had filmed, they were like, this doesn't quite work. And so then they reached out to Michael Imperioli to do the voiceover. And I think it works pretty well. There's been some criticisms of it, which I get. It, we'll probably get into that later That's on. That's so interesting but- you bring that up because I just watched a reunion of the cast getting together, talking about The Sopranos. Were they having dinner? No, it was all of them hanging out in, like, a theater. Okay. And uh, so they were asking, you know, like, what are your favorite moments? What was it like? This and this, this and that. And one of my favorite parts of that whole interview was the the dude interviewing them was like, so they're doing the prequel. Is anyone showing up? And then, you know, Polly makes a joke like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. And then, you know, everyone's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Chrissy looks awkward as fuck and starts giggling, which is kind of like a, like now post knowing what happens. And then, um, Carmela also seems kind of weird too, but I didn't know about the, uh, Carmela thing. I, I can't wait to buy this movie on 4K. Uh, I fucking love it. <laughs> so we already know, like, will Jeremiah buy this yeah, on 4K? Yeah. That's, we can cross of course, that of off the list. Another thing I like is when they go from the graveyard, they transition over to a, uh, a ship where uh, Ray Liotta's character, Hollywood Moltisante, is getting off with his new wife. And there's this feeling in the color palette and the way that they show the shipyard. It's very reminiscent of The Godfather Part Two. They have this whole intro where they show Vito getting his whole family rubbed out by a mob boss. And they, like, buy him a ticket to get on a ship. And he shows up at Staten Island alone. And there's just this little scene where they show the shipyard. And I can't help but think that they cribbed it from that. It really really feels like it and this is a show that like definitely vocally paid debts to the godfather movies as well as goodfellas sure i mean goodfellas i think they share 36 actors when all said and done with goodfellas wow yeah they fucking love goodfellas i mean like melfi was the Mm -hmm. co-lead of that uh ray liotta is like i believe the very last one that they've gotten they were trying to get him during the run of the show and it just never worked out chrissy's in it too which is so funny that you uh when you told me to watch that movie uh yeah i was like if you like the sopranos you have to see goodfellas and just that part when he just mercilessly shoots chrissy in the fucking foot and then yeah so Joe Pesci shoots him in the foot for a joke. Uh, and then later he talks shit to him and then he like Pesci kills Moltisanti or Moltisanti yeah. uh, kills uh, Michael Imperioli. <laughs> Imperioli plays a character named Spider in, in Goodfellas they invert that in the first season of The Sopranos <laughs> and th- this is once again that link to the Godfather and Goodfellas he goes to buy a cannoli which is like a very Godfather thing I won't get into that but he goes to buy it and there's a guy at the counter and he's like irritated at the guy and he shoots the guy in the foot yeah. which is exactly what happened yes, in Goodfellas yeah. and then when he comes back later the guy's bitching at him and he kills him he does the exact same thing that happened to him in Goodfellas right, I thought that was so genius to have that little nod yeah I love that little that wink and nod like it, it's it's a nice little easter egg for the for the folks that are familiar with both both universes not to mention Sylvia constantly doing his Al Pacino from Godfather 3 like our enemy has finally revealed himself <laughs> and all <laughs> in 1967 a young Tony Soprano travels with Dickie Malasanti to welcome home Dickie's father, Hollywood Dick Malasanti, and his new Italian wife. I am going to mispronounce this so hard. 
Giuseppina <laughs> Molisanti is a soldier in the DeMio crime family, which also consists of Johnny Soprano and his brother Junior, Silvio Dante, Polly Walnuts, Pussy Bonasaperio, <laughs> and Buddha, Pussy Bonasaperio's father. Yeah, they do a really smart thing here in that all of the main characters of this with the exception of Tony, are people that we've either seen very sparingly in The Sopranos in flashback or very, very old. And they're the ones running everything. But then you have your main cast of The Sopranos, with the exception of Tony, once again, who are the up-and-coming crew, right? Like, they're the ones that you would see in season one of The Sopranos and not think much about. And then they're, like, the main characters of, like, season five and six, right? Like, they have people that they just move up the ranks. And I like how they invert it in this movie. Polly and Silvio and all those guys, pussy, are all there, but they're very, very little parts, right? Like, they're just there for comic relief or just, like, being muscle or whatever. They don't have a huge part. And I do like that. I like that Chase just commits we're talking about these other characters. We're going to commit and to it, this. It it it, it makes it made me feel when I first had saw all of them in in the movie. I had just gotten to the part where Silvio uh, is upset at Tony for getting passed over uh, when he makes Chrissy, uh, you know, a made man, and uh, it was just interesting to be like, yeah, Silvio would be pissed off because he's been there before <laughs> fucking Tony. Wait, Silvio got pissed off? Yeah, Silvio, Silvio gets pissed I off. I thought Silvio was brought out of retirement because he was already made. Mm, and well, then becomes there his was, right hand when Polly fucks up. There was some issue where, like, I can't remember if it was Maybe it's because he retired and he lost his wings or whatever. It was something to do with, like... Silvio was upset because he chose Tony chose Chrissy to trust over you know because it's the same it's the same story you know it's Dickie looking after Tony Tony looking after Chrissy it's yeah. the same story and Silvio's fucking butthurt because he's like I've been here longer Polly's been here longer we've all been here longer than Chrissy has why are you choosing him not to mention he's a fucking heroin junkie like are you, you sure know? that's not Polly you're thinking that because Polly no, had no. major beef with Chris no there's that too but I know okay. Silvio because that it threw me off that Silvio was so butthurt because I never saw him as he just always does what Tone says you know so it's like yeah it's that, kind of just it's weird to see Silvio upset at Tony by the way Silvio is the most over the top character I oh fucking my. love him played by Steve Van Zandt oh Zan. straight up <laughs> just fucking <laughs> yeah I like how they made him bald yeah. So in this, they have John Majero is playing Silvio. And yeah, he's bald. He, he eventually goes to the uh, the pompadour wig, yeah. <laughs> which right. I enjoyed. But I enjoyed how they were just like, this character is so over the top. We're just going to make him for comedic effect, right? Like Jeremiah was laughing at me, laughing at the movie when he like walks out to answer a door, which by the way, is not funny when I watch it on TV. I watch it on TV and it's not funny. It plays different. But when you watch it on the the big screen you see him you wiggle see him his walking. hands yeah he like wiggles his hands behind him it's and i laughed so, so fucking hard it it's was so just weird. hilarious <laughs> but it's so silly so that it's like it like it makes sense but it's just oh man a black taxi driver is assaulted by a white police officer riots break out in new york uh one of dickie's black associates harold mcbrayer begins to take part in the riots 
Yeah, I, so Leslie Odom coming in off of his like Hamilton run and just fucking knocking it out of the park. I'm not Oh yeah. a hundred percent sure of exactly how he fits in with this. I mean, I know it works if you think about it, but it thematically maybe doesn't quite work with the rest of what we see. It's just like more plot machinations uh, going into place. No, I mean his character. Like his whole rise is almost like background stuff to make things happen for the main characters. I really feel way. like they're going to make a sequel or they're at least trying to or maybe a book or something because we'll get it back does, to that in it, source does, material. it does it does seem kind of weird that they do have that be a thing when it's not directly tied to yeah you know the show so but regardless of all that leslie odom is fucking killing it oh in this yeah 100 percent. oh yeah and i like how he seems very loyal at the start and then as the black rights movement <laughs> is going as the riots going like you can tell like the, during the riots he starts to get a chip on his shoulder and then eventually his attitude changes and it happens gradually over to the thing to the point of where like he's a dude to not be trifled with by the end of the well, movie. Well, it's, you know, Dickie, Dickie pushes him too really hard in that, that scene right before the riots happen where, you know, he's all like, hey man, you know, I was supposed to have the money, but you know, there's like the, the crew that we broke up. One of the guys is still, you know, doing his thing and... You know, they're like, shouldn't you feel fucking embarrassed that you can't do what you're supposed to do? And then he just, like, leaves and he's like, fuck that, you know? I really like how it's almost like Dickie talks too much shit to, like, everyone that it just kind of, you know, pushes everyone to be very, like, aggressive, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. At, at some point, you know, Dickie's commentary and the way he uh, interacts with everyone else, you almost want to see his uh, his comeuppance at some point in the uh in the movie yeah because i mean it's like with him with junior i think the big one for me was harold because it's like harold was supposed to be like his homie almost <laughs> how it felt you know and um he just was so shitty to him and then later on too you know yeah yeah it's a lot of these characters in this movie are, are very reminiscent of uh of the show where it's like a lot of times you root for these characters and then some episodes you're like man fuck these people yeah <laughs> like, for real. like you know there, there's a, there's a dichotomy where like sometimes you root for them and sometimes you're like you know i i can't stand these people or whatever so it's very interesting a little like a seesaw effect there agreed uh simultaneously johnny and junior are arrested at a carnival while tony watches from a distance johnny is sentenced to four years in prison i just want to say one thing uh i i love who they got to play his mom uh, Tony's mom. Yeah, Vera uh, Farmiga. Oh my God, she killed it. Yeah, they really play that part where, like, you know, she definitely is really smart and plays both sides. Like when he's getting sentenced, because she's like steady talking shit to him throughout most of the movie, and then when he gets sent to prison, you know, she's like, "Oh, Johnny, no," you know, just yes. devastated. And then even he looks back and is like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, calm down. Uh, yeah, she is throwing 90 miles an hour in this movie. Like, Vera Farmiga is killing it. She absolutely channels Nancy Marsh. Oh, and yeah. just nails the accent, the mannerisms, but does it slightly differently so that you believe this is somebody who's younger. Right. You know, which I think is important. But something else that they do that's very interesting, and I'm sorry, but we're going to have to keep comparing it to the show because 
this movie, I truly believe, does not stand alone. I know that they used to make episodes that stood alone and were really good at that, but you can't divorce this from the show because I don't think it plays correctly if you divorce it from the show. There's too many things they're counting on you knowing from the show, but that carnival scene is a flashback in the show. Yes, yes. What's really interesting about it is it has this hidden meaning in the show Tony sees this carnival and he's talking about his dad and like how he kind of looks up to his dad and he's just like, yeah, I'll be out and so and so. And he remembers his dad being very macho about it when he's going off to jail. The psychiatrist, Melfi, just absolutely zeroes in on like, so he was taking Janice, but not you. Like, how did that make you feel? You didn't even know about it. And so it's actually talking about she's like taking the hero worship out of his dad, or at least she's trying to make him realize like, hey, your dad was kind of a piece of shit too. And Tony has a really hard time with that like he did with his mom he had a really hard time doing that until he almost gets killed and then he like turns a page on his mom but he never really turns around on his dad he learns a lot of things learns that his dad was not a good father but like he can't quite make that turn because it's it's too devastating for him to hate both of his parents one thing now in this movie that serves if you know that from the show this scene is bolstering the fact that that he is going to need Dickie Moltisanti as a father figure because his father is not only absent for being in prison, but like think about that blow to his ego he just right. had. He's taking Janice. He's not taking his son. Like he just doesn't even make an attempt to connect with his son. So it's like one of those things, if you've seen the show, it enriches that scene. There's a lot packed into it that I don't think you can just get off of watching the movie by itself. Well, the, one of the things I found interesting, rewatch the TV show and then watching the movie, Tony is constantly being like you know my mother was a saint my father was a saint Dickie Malasanti was a saint so it was interesting to kind of like see who he decided were were saints in his life that ended up not really being that way you know yeah honestly there's nobody in his life who is a saint but he looks at all of them that way yeah because he specifically calls his dad a saint and his dad is a fucking douchebag like oh, yeah. straight he's, up he's the worst <laughs> yeah. yeah he's literally the fucking worst yeah played by john bernthal very very well yeah yeah oh my gosh he killed it too yeah and the, can we just say like the casting and the acting is just phenomenal in this movie like mm-hmm. i feel like everybody played their role played it well you know we were just talking about you know the wife and crying in the courtroom and everything like that and just the swagger that she oozed like being like killer mob wife or like yeah, she's not the one that goes out and gets her hands dirty, but also you probably don't want to fuck with her either, even if, even if her husband's in the joint. And we know that from the first she season. She literally of the show. does not care about her. Straight kids. Up. She's like smoking and like ashing in her daughter's <laughs> face. And like, that she's like part, steady that, talking about way, his gumar. I think and, that's like, another thing that doesn't play as well on TV. Like, yeah. when you see it on TV, you just sort of see the cigarettes. Like, she's got smoking a cigarette over her baby bonnet. But <laughs> right. like, when I saw that in the movie you can watch yeah, the ash straight drop. up <laughs> yeah you can watch the ash drop onto the baby while she's talking and she could give a fuck less yeah, like, it's, it's different nuts, time man dude. different time <laughs> it's not about the time it's about the person oh, <laughs> uh Hollywood Dick kicks Giuseppina down a flight of stairs. Dickie realizes this and confronts him after a physical altercation. Dickie kills his father and transports his body to his drainage supply building, which he burns to make it look as though it were destroyed in the riots. Tony embodies Dickie in so many ways, and this is the big one that he takes from Dickie, where it's, 
telling his dad, stop, you're being a douche. You know, I don't like the way you're treating my mom. And then he says, you know, I guess I choose a lot of sluts. And he just completely loses control and just beats the fuck out of his dad. And that is a very Tony Soprano thing. And it's like, you don't ever really see Tony see Dickie do that. But he encompasses that anger and violence in such a way that it's like, it made me realize how much, you know, they're both almost the same person, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities for sure. I would say a difference is that Tony makes a real effort to be a good father, even though the mob stuff gets in the way. But there's a little bit of stuff that we have to talk about, which is the second that his new stepmom, who is slightly younger than him, the second she gets off of the boat, you can tell there's like a sexual attraction between them. And then she's like out having a cigarette and he's talking to her and he's like, yeah, he used to do that to my mom. But he's like saying like, I know what happened to you basically. And so she talks about how she doesn't like how he treats her and how she's treated like she's something to be kept. And so that's when he confronts her. But in the back of his mind, it's also like, like they're having this moment when they're talking and you could tell he wants to get down with the stepmom like straight up and that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. fueling a lot of this rage i love the joke at the dinner table when they're all eating they're like aren't you guys like the same age <laughs> i guess so <laughs> that's so funny your stepmom's the same age as your son <laughs> and they're all just like laughing about it and it's <laughs> he, like dicky is not laughing yeah he's like <laughs> horrified by the whole situation <laughs> and let's face it dude she's a smoke show i'm yeah. sorry but yeah. she's amazing oh straight up yeah no doubt uh, this is the first thing with the pigeons, which I thought was a nice little nod because you only ever see it one time uh, in the TV show. But uh, when Chrissy is made, becomes a made man, he sees a pigeon uh, in the window of Tony's uh, garage or basement or wherever they're at. And he keeps staring at it and staring at it and staring at it. And then there's a whole thing where it's like, this is the saint of Michael. Uh, if you ever betray your family, your loved ones, may you burn in hell. And that's like something that's just so imprinted on Chrissy. And then, you know, when he gets home to Adriana, he's like, I think I died. Am I alive? Because, you know, uh, whenever a Molasanti dies, it seems there's always a pigeon. All or something. two times. Yeah. The, all the two times. All the two times. But that's like, well, I guess that's where, like, that's where like, that comes from, though. Well, it's Dick, because of Dick that. Dick doesn't have a, a bird around. Him, no, though. but I think that they referenced that someone says that they saw a bird when they found the body or something. So it's like some weird thing that keeps like happening. There's also this whole thing, and I don't want to get too into it, but in The Sopranos, they have a thing with like ducks and geese yeah. and pigeons and all of that. Yeah, they love their birds. Every episode you have them somewhere and they yeah, and they represent shit. Like the the first episode, Tony's out in a pool and there's ducks that are out there and they give birth to some babies and then they fly off and it makes Tony cry because like he realizes through therapy he's worried about losing his family and part of that is like the thing that's going on with his mom and then later the ducks represent losing your manhood right because he dreams about a duck flying off with his penis and Mm -hmm. it's because he's being emasculated by his mom and his wife and then like later on like in Pine Barrens you see the geese fly across when Chrissy and Polly seem hopelessly lost and that's like Chrissy is considered family of Tony and he's worried about losing Chrissy like it's over and over again in the series they use the birds for metaphors so yeah of course they packed it into this movie this, right. they do it every episode if you're paying attention there's something I somewhere. didn't know that I knew yeah. that there was like some significance with the ducks and the pigeons but 
I didn't know that it played such a big role. When you get to like the tenth watch, it's just like (laughs) (laughs) pulling apart everything. It's amazing. Dicky visits his uncle and Hollywood Dick's twin brother, uh, which I hated. I hated that they did that. Was that something that they said in the show that he had a twin brother? No, but they did. They did it before in the show, right? Like you have Patsy and his twin brother. Like Patsy's twin yeah. brother dies, and then later you find out he's got a twin brother. I hated it. I hated that they, they already they used it. Ray Leona twice. <laughs> I wish they would have yeah, just. So I was uh, like so thrown off. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" I thought this dude just died. Right. And, that uh, same thing, dude. Yeah, I was like, "What?" But you know, I guess it is. It is what it is. They couldn't get Ray Liotta in the actual show, so they gave him two roles. <laughs> two roles in the movie to make up for it. I, I had this for later, but let me break down why I think they have Ray Liotta in, in dual roles. It's because you have Hollywood Moltisante, who is just he doesn't care, he doesn't learn, he doesn't he doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself. He's a terrible human being, and then you have his brother, who is also a terrible human being, but then realized what he did and reckoned with it, and he's got to live with it. And so I think it's like two sides of the coin. They're kind of using that to represent that. Um, yeah, Dickie visits his uncle and Hollywood Dick's twin brother, Sally, who is serving a life sentence in prison for killing another made man in his own family. Dickie begins seeing Giuseppina as his guma. I do like Sally or the Hollywood Dick's twin. I think that whole relationship with Dickie and Sally, uh, I think it mirrors Melfi and Tony's relationship, kind of, where he feels like he needs to, you know, do his good things, you know. I need to do my good things to get the good fucking, you know, karma or whatever. And uh, I I absolutely love that. I saw it as, like, as the movie progressed, obviously he keeps revisiting him. So it's like his twin brother replaced the father figure that, that, uh, you know, he never really saw as a father figure. You know, there was a tumultuous relationship there, and it's like, Oh, hey, I'm I'm introduced to his brother and he's actually a a better dude than my dad actually was. Or are they connected on on a on a stronger level, I feel like. Yes. And to go back to that connection between Tony and Milfi and this mirroring that, this guy calls him on a shit constantly, right? Like yes. Milfi always picks up on little breadcrumbs like, that Tony blank, leaves and put she up like she calls him out on it and makes him face it and will do it repeatedly until he faces it. And that is his role in this. They couldn't really do the therapy thing. Like very few people were doing therapy back in the sixties. So it makes sense that they do it this way. This is a, yeah, a smart way to, a smart way to still, to still get that. It, very interesting. Very interesting. All right. In elementary school, Tony is suspended from school for starting a gambling operation. Uh, he's running numbers. <laughs> right? He's running like, numbers at school. Like, so the running numbers for people not in the know, it's basically, and they explain it in the movie, but it's basically the lottery before the government decided, let's cripple the mob and make us some money and start doing an official lottery. But this was going on for like 100 years before that it was just, they go around the neighborhood and basically do do a homespun lottery. And then the government was like, we could weaken them and make more money if we do this officially. (laughs) And so around the 80s, they start doing Powerball and shit. Wild. Harold decides to move to North Carolina following the murder warrant. And Dickie gives him $500 as a gift, which is probably like a grand back then, right? 
In the seventies, yeah, it's probably like three grand. <laughs> okay, weird. Yeah, I would say a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, four years later, Johnny is released from prison at a welcoming back party. Dickie and his wife Joanne show an infant Christopher to Johnny and the rest of the family. Christopher cries when he sees Tony, and a woman at the table tells them that some babies, when they come into the world, know all kinds of things from the other side. Okay, uh, so like Tony kills Chrissy. Right? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that line. It was a little bit uh, on the nose. Like it was like shoving your face into it. Yeah. But I, I, I wasn't mad at it. You, you could really tell they were driving the point home that like Tony was like, oh, he doesn't like me. He's crying. He's crying. That line about sensing stuff from beyond was like, eh, maybe, maybe we could have done without that. Yeah. But, but it, it worked. It, it was all right, I guess. I don't know. I'm not too mad at I it. I think it works better if you hand the baby and the baby seems fussy and, <coughs> and doesn't love it. I did have a visual eye roll in that part. <laughs> Here's a new segment I want to start doing when we do these new movies. Let's rewrite this scene. So this is how I would have done this scene, okay? Tony picks up the baby. Chrissy starts crying. And he's like, what the fuck's wrong with this thing? She keeps fucking crying when I'm holding it. And then that's just their whole relationship in the show is like Tony yelling at Chrissy. Chrissy being like, Tone. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. Then the baby stops crying. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's how I would rewrite it. The baby starts slamming heroin, and then and then Tony like starts to push in its throat before right. somebody takes the baby away from it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and then Tony goes and like spins a roulette wheel while he's high on acid. Because it's, it's a summer of love. Right, it's a summer of love. <laughs> nice, nice. What would your rewrite be? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe a combination of the two. I will, a, a combination of both yours. Well, I don't know. Don't do mine, Stan. <laughs> um, Mine is bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so you mentioned the summer of love thing. I did want to touch on something here because, uh, you know, they show like, uh, how old is Tony in this scene? Like, oh, he's probably like 17, sit? 17, 17. I think. I think he's 15. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, okay. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's clearly he's in school still, but, uh, but one thing, you know, being coming from, uh, like a heavy metal punk rock background, um, uh, I always thought it was interesting about the Soprano show when I saw AJ with the various, like the Slipknot shirts and like the Marilyn Manson shirts. Oh man. That windbreaker he has is so premium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he he's always like low key, like they don't make it o too overt, I don't think, in the show. But like you, the the nod to him being like with the times and into music, uh, he's like a rocker of that of the late nineties, early two thousands. It's almost like you see that in uh, in his dad too. Like Tony is like he doesn't come off as a fifteen year old monster. He's just like you know a hippie flower power summer of love type of dude who's just like yeah he's vibing with his own thing like with the, my favorite part of the whole tony uh story in the movie is when he gets the speakers and then you start to see that like oh that's why he built the home theater like it oh, was like a nod cool, to yeah. dicky to where you know like he was and then just to see that same kind of him and aj are so actually alike with the football it's crazy yeah it is fucking nuts yes, because with the football too both like rockers of the of like their era yeah yeah they're both and you would never get that well i mean i i take that back there's a few times you know where, where tony's rocking out in the car or whatever but like it's just cool to see him you know because he comes off as more of a professional like mobster dude not really like a rocker it's just interesting to see him as like 
you know, 15, 16, 17, whatever. Uh, and he's just like rocking out. It's very reminiscent of AJ, I think. Oh, I would say he is a lot like AJ until Dickie dies. And I think th- where the story continues after that, it, he's not that person anymore. That's the fork in the road. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that absolutely is the fork in the road for sure. And I think that's also why when Tony is like, decides to not send him to the military school i think he is reminiscing on that kind of vibe too where it's like you know i don't want aj to be hardened you know because he does constantly reference like i don't want my kids to be like me at all and like you know of course sure i love i love aj but he is very dumb and like (laughs) you know it's probably one good thing that he got from dickie is don't be like me, but we'll get to that at the yeah. at the end of the synopsis. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, let's loop back to that for sure. Harold returns from North Carolina and decides to start his own black-led crime operation in New York. Giuseppina has an affair with Harold after a fight with Dickie. Harold kills one of his demios and steals their protection money. Dickie and his crew interrogate one of Harold's gang members, Cyril, and kill him. Uh, this scene was fucking brutal, dude. And I love it. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a hard watch. The 20-minute lead-up when it's like, it like shoots you into their operation. And when Dickie shows up and you see the dude with the the fucking power The thing that puts the... uh the yeah, the, jacks the, on the or the, the no no the uh, it's the the tire uh, yeah it's the thing that that does the bolts the tire, on the tires yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you see that dude I'm not a you mechanic. can tell no nobody on this call works at Pet Boys right right, right. if my brother ever listened to this he'd be so pissed at me because he is a mechanic the fucking screw thing <laughs> but uh man when they shove that thing in his face fuck dude uh every time i see it i just cringe yeah so wait, they pulled it out i i didn't know what i was like what are they doing with this because it's, it's not like a serrated edge it's not sharp it's not pointy i was like they're gonna they gotta get creative here and then they stuck in his mouth and i was like holy shit because yeah, i busted out all of his fucking teeth i honestly thought they were gonna put it on his nipple or something or like contort his skin or like i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but we're not even talking about the worst tragedy here which is Polly's yellow suit gets covered with blood after he's like he goes like hey it's just a new got suit it. i just got and it so they he. make him put it into his mouth yeah. and of course it sprays back onto him my favorite part of that whole scene is when sills like pulls out the gun and shoots him and then as you can see that his his hair is falling yes, off yes. it's like polished fake because he's got that, that comb over yeah underneath the pompadour <laughs> <laughs> that, the uh, I, I love the little nod to it or like Polly being like a fashionista like always trying to look sharp or whatever and still like nothing's changed you know yeah x yeah. number of years later yeah um and then uh we get our first look at Artie too which is kind of cool because he's always hanging out with tony and he's like yo my dad told me to burn down your fucking building or he said something about burning no, down no, no, their no, building no, no, no. they're walking off the bus and he's like yeah dad says i'm gonna have to work in the suvios for him but i don't want to and yeah it's just like i just that. remember him saying something about burning something down and i just thought that was really silly but i love how dickie smacks the fuck out of art <laughs> Artie in the car 
But uh, to be fair, Artie's a degenerate fucking I gambler. Fucking no! <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Um, Even at that age, you know he was like, "Hey, Tony, can you spot me on the numbers?" I just uh, <laughs> Charmaine's like, "Stop talking to Tony. He's always got his group at lunch, and you don't want to be a part of that group." In retaliation for Cyril's death, Harold and his gang engage in a shootout with the Demios, during which Buddha is killed. Holy fuck, too! Uh, that's when they shoot his fucking yeah. face off with a shotgun. Um, I and I love how they got. What's his face? Joey Diaz in this. I thought that that was so fucking cool. I love Joey Diaz. Sure, but um, he fitted he fitted very well, like too too well almost. Do you know who Joey Diaz is or anything about him? Yeah, he, comedian, right? Yeah, he was actually in the mob though for like a really long time, and then Whoa, yeah, okay. that's and sick. then uh, he started doing comedy with Joe Rogan, and then that's kind of like he talks about it sometimes on the show, but he was like legitimately a part of the mob for a while, so that's why his like him being a part of that it fits so naturally because like sure that's totally like who he was i guess so uh, same with tony circo who played Polly. he came on as a consultant and while they're developing the show they realized he was really fucking funny on top of it and so they were like let's see if we can give him a role and so at first he was going to be junior but for whatever reason they made the junior character junior and then named him Polly walnuts i feel like Polly is so such a bigger character than Junior. Because, you know? and the writers say this all the time, they wrote Tony Serico. Like, they, the actor who played him, they basically just heard shit that he said and would, like, throw it into the script. Like, he was going off one time about, what's with your shoes? You don't tie those, and then if you're in the bathroom, it, the germs are just going to come up and get you dirty. Like, that was all shit that Tony Serico would say, and they were just like, this is too funny, and would write it into the show. He was obsessed with his mom, like, oh <laughs> like all of that stuff. <laughs> so it's like they have this precedent of bringing in guys who are in the mob, but not made guys. They're always like low level guys because yeah. made guys are too scary to have on the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Tony steals uh, the answers for his geometry exam, and his school guidance counselor tells Tony's mother that he has high Stanford Bennett IQ and that the Myers Briggs personality traits of a leader. And that Tony told her about a time in which his mother hugged him and read him a book about uh, Sutter's Mill. It was one of the best memories uh, of his life. Yeah, and it was just because they like she had a him moment. The whole time. Yeah, <laughs> he just had like a moment. Because as we know from the show, she's got personality disorder, which means they're kind of incapable of doing that. Yeah, like, just on an, a psychological level so yeah no it was really it was actually really fucked up to watch that scene because it's like you you see her recognize like oh shit i'm kind of a bad mom and like you know they make her human in this yeah and i really love that because she's so fucking ruthless in the tv show that it's like and she is ruthless in this in ways but they still make her a human being yeah because she's not yeah. so old and set in her ways like she could still potentially turn it around right still malleable Livia tries to show her affection for Tony, but she mentions how her doctor wanted to prescribe her antidepressants, and when Tony believes it might be helpful, she antagonizes him. I love this so much, because this is the start of him being like, maybe doctors can help people, you know? Maybe maybe I should go see a therapist. Maybe I should take medication, you know? And she imprints on him that you should not do that, which is his entire yes. push and pull at the beginning of the yeah, show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. He didn't want anybody to know he was seeing a therapist. He, it was, you know, demasculating for him or whatever. And you see that that's, that's been something ingrained in his head since he was 
since he was a kid that you know uh it's almost like a weakness like the, the Elville pills oh no no that's you know uh people sick in the head i'm not sick in the head it's it was very stigmatized at a young age and then finally as he gets older he he goes all in but you can tell he's where the reluctancy comes from well i think too yeah. also you know it's one of those things where it's like you know we don't talk we don't talk to anyone that's not family. You know, we don't say anything. It's not even just anything, family. We just you know? don't talk. Right. Yeah, we don't like, talk about anything that we're not supposed to talk about. And that's just it. So I think it's also growing up with that. It's like there's so much against that. But then, you know. You know about the pet rock, right? Loosely. Like silly fucking thing, right? It's a rock with like eyes on it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of it. Did when they it really was, sell that at stores? Yes. But here's Jesus. the thing. Here's the thing. I know. <laughs> like everybody rolls their eyes, right? But then you learn Pet Rock was super important because the idea of the Pet Rock is you're going to buy this thing. You can't really take care of it, but you're going to talk to it and you're going to project your feelings onto it and you're going to actually talk out your shit to this rock. And that was why they (laughs) made the Pet Rock is because people did not do therapy. They didn't talk to psychiatrists. It was not (laughs) a a world where you were like, you talk about your problems. It's like uh, you, you just didn't fucking talk about your problems. And so the Pet Rock was a thing that was developed so that like people would talk out their shit like believe it or not it's, i know it sounds crazy but like it actually like led people thinking about therapy eventually have you ever watched the last man on earth yes i love that first episode where he goes to the bar and he's like ah, i gotta go get a drink with the boys and then he's just in a bar with all these like like stuffed animals he has a and wilson fucking... volleyball but then he he's got like 40 different balls. versions of that yeah. and he's just like oh fucking no tony what, what do you think and he's like looking at like a fucking plastic cup with a face on it and he's like yeah you're right let's just have another drink and fucking you know he's like playing pool or something he's just <laughs> totally lost his mind that's what, that's what all i could think about when you were talking about it. <laughs> like, i'm just thinking about like me talking to 30 different variations <laughs> so something i did want to get to in that scene is that after lydia absolutely refuses to try these pills which could help her potentially tony then asks dickie will you please get the pills and maybe slip it to her Mm-hmm. So Dickie's like doesn't want to do it, and then finally he's like, All he right, specifically I'll, I'll see what says, I can do. "Why don't you ask your dad?" Yeah, and he's like, "Nah, she doesn't really like him. They have something. He's not really staying at home right now." Like, <laughs> I think someone is Gumar. Like, <laughs> he doesn't say Gumar. He probably doesn't even know about it. But no, I think he does. I think he totally does because his mom's so open about that. Like, that's the thing that shocked me the most in the beginning is like <laughs> when he walks in when, when he talks about the mustache and he's just like all i want is to go see my guma and he's like hey how's it going everybody <laughs> no but there's that the scene when uh he's talking about his daughter uh and like he's like i should just shave off this horrible mustache and this and that and then you cuts to his mom and he's like his guma said that he looked horrible with the mustache so he's gonna shave it and it's like she's just open about that and i think back then it was just like one of those things you know so I, I wouldn't be surprised. When you have a husband who occasionally shoots your hair, do you better oh let him have a mistress? Fucking god, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was a wild. I was like, holy shit! I never thought I would feel for Lydia ever. Yeah, like that was shocking when that happened because it's so random. Because what is she like? It's you- not random. She's bitching at him, but she's always bitching at him. But he just like had enough, so he just shoots her fucking hair. It's like holy fuck, man. Right. That got everybody in the theater when we're watching it uh at a wake uh tony asked dickie if he could get the elevale for his mother dickie's hesitant junior slips a 
and falls on the steps, causing <laughs> di- dude. This scene is so fucking great. This fucking uh, Dicky, I'm just ah, Maron. No, 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 no. Uh, Do you remember what he yells? He says Maron, doesn't he? What does he say? My, uh, your sister's. Uh, ah, your sister's can't. There you go. I wanted somebody to say it, but I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> oh, that shit's so funny. <laughs> This is also mirroring when Junior goes to trial in the show, he slips on the stairs <laughs> and has the same screaming match and stuff, too. Whoa, yeah. I just love how, like, this just shows you that, like, fucking Junior's been crippled since he was, like, <laughs> you know, in his prime. <laughs> and they have that whole thing where he's, like, like, Dickie's <laughs> laughing at him, so he's mad about it. And then he's having sex with we see this woman later in the sopranos because he goes down on her all the time yeah, and, and he's so like, Why people don't you find tell out people and he's like next thing they'll know is i've been putting a dick in my mouth i can't have anyone knowing that it's yeah like, oh. and they have this whole thing like literally everybody does oral sex in a group but nobody will like talk about it openly and so they're making fun of junior when he finds out but they all think junior has like a weird sex thing and they talk about how he does like he probably doesn't have normal sex or whatever but they have that line that just fucking killed me when I saw this movie where uh, he's trying to have sex with the woman and he can't because his back hurts and she's like I get it anything to not have sex <laughs> like turns over and he's just like fucking Dickie Montesante <laughs> Dickie reconnects with uh, Giuseppina and promises her a beauty parlor for her to run during a walk on the beach she confesses to an affair with Harold an enraged Dickie drowns her in the sea yeah there's a little bit of backstory to that he goes to check out a beauty parlor with her and it's he's like, like the best day ever he like tells her no <laughs> like he tells her no because like there's probably problems with the plumbing all of this and it's basically like he wants to kind of control the whole thing he doesn't really want her to work she wants to work because she sees women working in america but he wants to keep her and this pisses her off so she has that affair with harold harold is not only attracted to her he knows that this is a way to get back at dickie and then so when he finally gets her the beauty parlor to make her happy then she admits it because she's trying to do the right thing i think she doesn't want to go with guilt and he just fucking drowns her dude it's like brutal yeah and i love the way the camera kind of sways back and forth like it's the ocean yes i was gonna say that it was it was such an intense scene and like like the camera was like underwater at points and like would be underwater above water with the tide and it was swaying it like gave you the perception of like you were there in the water with them yeah. with the struggle it was powerful and she just gets swept away by the ocean yeah and it looks like he almost drowns in the process yeah. too right like he almost loses himself like murdering her it's pretty wild i, what, I think alan taylor did a really I, good job I with that really scene. what i really dug about this too that relationship is it it again mirrors what tony's going to go through with his guma uh the russian girl where you the, know <laughs> the one with no not the one with one <laughs> no, no, don't her, her, the first, her, the uh, first one, her, her cousin. niece or whatever, her cousin, yeah. or whatever. because it's like that, like she. Uh, Dickie's Kumar calls out something that's very interesting about how these people, these men treat those women on the show, which is they want us to sit here and wait for you, but I get lonely. And is it unfair for me to like, you know, not want to do something with my time? It's like, I can't just wait here for you. Like all day. That's fucking boring. Like, you know, it makes so much sense. Like how that would be a thing and how that toxic kind of trait is pushed on to like, I guess eventually Tony and how he does 
does like literally the same thing until he's done and then you know she's out And on the other side, we've seen on some level she likes dangerous relationships, right? Because there's like this attraction between her stepson. Sure, sure. And she winds up like following through with that. And then it's like this guy who worked for her fling and is also actively working against him. And so she gets down with him. Like she is picking the most emotionally charged, like worst people to have an affair (laughs) with. Her dad or his dad. Yeah, because he was the same way too. Yep. And I, I, I thought it, it, an interesting thing here uh, was so Dickie obviously, you know, uh, kills her. And uh, earlier in the movie, you know, he was really uh, on his dad's ass for being, you know, for the dom- domestic violence, and, and it, it, it like the tables turned. And yeah, he was the, he did the same exact thing later. Worse, you know, <laughs> and does it in the way he does it with his dad, which is he gets so angry that he doesn't even think he just acts. Yeah. Really impulsive. Probably more dangerous than we see with Hollywood because I, I just like to say Hollywood. Like that. Right. <laughs> sure, sure. I just can't remember what his first name was, but uh, because Hollywood is awful and just like mean to everybody, but to a degree you can probably see it coming, right? Like he winds well, up. He, he like responds. Dickie just fucking snaps. He responds to like, like when he kicks her down the stairs, it's you put your fucking dirty shit in my bathroom. Don't fucking do your that. douchebag. Yeah. You douchebag yeah. in my bathroom. Please don't do that. And then, you know, she's like, why, why do you care? It's part of my body. And then they get in this huge argument and she's running away. And then, you know, the, the, what Dickie and her, it's, I'm sorry. I did made a mistake when we weren't talking. I'm sorry. And then just blind rage. I mean, it's like almost. And after having such an amazing day together that it's like, you're just going to throw all that away. You know, like they had like the best day ever. And, it's and like, he's, he's psychotic because he yeah. didn't even think about it. He just, he just, he just does it. Yeah. He just yeah. does it. Dickie visits Sal who advises him to stay out of Tony's life. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, can I suggest a Christmas present for your nephew? And then just says, what, what, uh, like, never, never talk, see him again. Never see him again. Yeah. But what I love about this scene, though, and this is like, if you could put the whole entire series, the movie and the TV show in just like a phrase, it's uh, maybe the, the, the good favors you do f- aren't God's favorite things. And I love that because it's But what like, do I know? I'm just a killer. Yeah, but what do I know? I'm just a murderer in prison. <laughs> Because it's like, it's like, it's so true. Cause it's like, Tony does the same thing. Dickie does the same thing where it's like, like, it's like, I, I laughed. So I probably shouldn't have laughed in the theater at this part. Cause it's insensitive, but there's a part where Dickie's talking about how he's like, no, I've been, I've been teaching these kids how to play ball and they're blind. And I'm like, why are you doing that? That makes no sense. Like, because, okay. <laughs> I, I'll tell you why they did that because I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it. The second time I started to think about it. So he, He's talking to to Dickie because he's like, so what, this is your good deed? And he, and he, like, tells him he does this blind baseball, right? And so then they, like, cut to this thing where you see him throwing the ball and it's going, boop, 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 while it's going. <laughs> and then they're, like, running to bases and it's like, boop, 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 while well, they're running to bases. And then everybody's, like, cheering the coach's name Dickie, when they win the game. Dickie. <laughs> but the key to this is when he's finished, he looks over and his uncle is gone. 
And he's just – he was clearly just sitting there thinking about, like, what a great guy he was that entire time. He's, right? like, fantasizing about this game. But it's like he's – Whether it's real or not, who even knows if he's actually being right, truthful? Right, right. No, no, it was real because those kids showed up at the, uh, the Did funeral. Did they? They okay. showed up at the funeral. But he's so obsessed with, like, just fucking the, letting him the, know what a great guy fake, is. He doesn't even know. the hero, yeah. It's the sure. fake things that he does – to redeem himself from all the bad things he does. And it's like, Sal looks right through that. Straight up. He just sees right through that and it's like, no, like, <laughs> you can't, you can't do one nice thing out of all of the like hundreds of horrible things you've done in that time period. Like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Dickie begins to avoid Tony, much to his anger. Silvio encourages Dickie to reconcile with Tony and Dickie relents. However, before he can arrive home, he is shot in the head from behind by an unknown assailant under the orders of Junior Soprano. Bum, bum, bum! Was yep, that, yep, yep. Was that shocking for you, Stan? Like, watching that scene? It was. Well, I don't know. So, so, so Dickie is such, like, a high-profile, high like, a prolific character in this movie that for him to just... Was he getting groceries out of his trunk? Is that it's what it Christmas. was? It was, like, Christmas, and he was, like, grabbing presents and stuff for his family. So, it, he, he just gets... He gets iced in such, like, a nonchalant way. I mean, maybe that's, that's fitting for the lifestyle, but, you know, I was like, oh, he's dying in this movie, but I didn't think it would be that... Uh, I don't know. I, I figured it would be more of a more of a he- heroic death or something. You know, m- more intense. Right, like he's in like a shootout or something. Yeah, shit. yeah. So just- I, I guess what I was actually asking is like, was it surprising to you that it was Junior when you initially saw it? I mean, I know it makes sense, but yeah, yeah. I I, I was like, oh shit, huh? But because what what wasn't there in the in the show like a contrast to that? Wasn't there like a different story? So the whole thing was that Junior and his mom, Tony's mom, were basically trying to get Tony murdered because Tony was starting to step toes on Junior's running, Junior running the business. But like, he he wasn't really trying to do that, though. They were working it out. Lydia puts gasoline on the fire because he's putting Lydia in a home. Yeah. So she like tries to get him. Okay. It's coming back to me now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the Dickie Moltisanti thing, my memory of it is that there's one time that Tony mentions the Chris because he always has black people running stuff for him. Not necessarily his crew, but whenever he has stuff he needs done that can't be part of his crew. Yeah. He's always having different black characters do it. And at one point, Tony's like disgusted by it. And he's like, I, I think he says something like those animals killed your dad no not true what happens with that is uh tony basically tells him that a cop that they've been working with murdered his dad and then now that he's retiring that chrissy can like kill him because you know he doesn't serve a value to them anymore and then chrissy kidnaps the guy and is in his house and he's like dude i didn't kill your dad i did not kill your dad he's like whoever told you is lying to you and then that's right he just fucking murders him straight i don't know where i'm remembering that from yes because he does say shit like that all the time yeah tony does does do that he probably uses that quite a bit yeah yeah. I think he says that to Jackie. I think he says that to Jackie. Well, Jackie's, Jackie's, dad, ja- Jackie's, Jackie's dad died of yeah. cancer. Like, he's the one who's running the, the mob at the beginning. And no, then no, he died. no, Yeah, yeah. Jackie no, April, uh, his dad. No, no, no. What's his face? His son that gets murdered. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't it's matter. Way, it's way off topic. When we saw that scene where they reveal it was Junior... I'm not kidding, dude. Everybody in the theater, like, gasped. Like, we gasped because I just – it made sense when you heard it, but nobody saw that coming. And it yeah. was just like – It does make sense because Junior's a backstabbing fuck. Didn't like him anyway. And Junior is just completely fucked 
Tony's life in a way because something that they're not covering in that synopsis is that Dickie, after he was told by uh, his uncle, like, just lose Tony, he's ignoring Tony and, like, Tony's coming over to see him and he won't see him because he wants to, like, separate him and not have him kind of follow in his footsteps because he realizes, like, this isn't going to help Tony out. And by Junior killing him just hardens Tony, right? Like, a part of him dies a little bit. And he wants that wish for his son, but also, like, this just set him on the path. I think that, like... This definitely, it's like the pinky promise at the end, right? In my mind, what that signifies is I will avenge you. I will find out who killed you, which is obviously it's going to be Harold. I already had those open shootouts, right? So everyone's that's a going. Thing, but it's not Harold. It's, it's, it's all not. Set up it's by, Junior. Right. And but that's, that's yeah. what makes Junior and Tony super tight. Because now Junior's going to be like, you know, and what's, Harold killed fucking Dickie. And what's funny is how his memory works because Tony would always talk about how his uncle played baseball with him when his dad was in the can. He would like stepped in and was acting as his father. But that's not how it went down. That's just how he remembers it because he gets tight with Junior once yeah. once uh, Dickie's died, which just makes you think like yep. even more. What a piece of shit Junior is. Yeah, what a fucking <laughs> – and that's why like everything that happens to him is like he gets what he deserves like to and something else that made me laugh in that is so many times in The Sopranos, you hear Junior say, well, he's not really a varsity athlete. Like, he would talk about Tony that way all the time. And Tony, like, fucking hates hearing that. He says it, like, three times in this movie, I think. And his mom says it, too. Yeah. When he's... When- they're like, no, he's actually really smart. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, that's it. Uh, at the wake, Tony stares at the body of Dickie, and they make the pinky promise. All right, so let's talk about the themes. The one I have here is putting people on a pedestal has a cost. Everyone seems to admire Dickie Moltisante. Harold is jealous of him and takes his numbers game, his guma for a spin, and takes out several of his associates. Tony tries to be like him, sacrificing his good standing at school in the football team and eventually has his heart broken by him junior is tired of being compared unfavorably to him so he has him whacked right like don't put people on a pedestal this don't make saints yep don't make saints (laughs) in your mind because they're not saints. don't make people who shouldn't be saints saints yeah Especially in that line of business. Right, right. So the movie behind the movie, David Chase wrote the script out of film school about four white teenagers from Newark who joined the National Guard to avoid being drafted in Vietnam and are then sent to the riots in Newark. It was never produced. He used part of that for the story in Many Saints. Oh, that's interesting. And then he married it with making it a prequel. So Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Chase didn't have an idea for the Sopranos movie for years after the show. When James Gandolfini died, he refused to do any kind of sequel to the show. Then in 2017, he became interested in the Newark riots again, as well as telling a story about Tony as a boy. David Chase was supposed to direct, but he had a heart attack and his wife grew ill. So he handed it off to Alan Taylor, who directed nine episodes of the Sopranos. He also did Thor the Dark World, but don't hold it against him. He did nine Sopranos. (laughs) Yeah, that that was the bad Thor one. And I actually like that one. I thought it was fine. It's maybe the worst Marvel movie, but it was fine. It's on the Mount Rushmore of bad Marvel movies. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when I saw that there was going to be a uh, like a Sopranos movie, and it was kind of a, a prequel to the to the show. I was thinking it was going to be more so a uh, focus on Tony Soprano. Mm. That, like like you know, I, I was surprised. I mean, he obviously Tony's a focal point of, in this movie. But it's more so revolving around uh, around the trials and tribulations of Dickie, 
Moltisanti versus versus Tony Soprano. I was I was surprised by that. Uh, it, I don't know. I was as well. Uh, when I first watched it, I watched it the night it came out, and I was like, "This is dumb." I did not like it at all. And then when I rewatched it with Beige, because I was talking, I was like, he's like, I want to go to the theater. And I was like, fuck, I kind of want to go see it in the theaters too. Because I liked it, but I, in my mind, I had the same thought. It's supposed to be about Tony. Yep. You know, they got James Galdafini's son. Like, it should be about, you know, Tony, right? And in a way, it is. In my mind, I, I feel more solidified in saying that, that it is about Tony. But this is the first part of what I would hope be a two-parter, which is like, these are the people who made Tony. Right. And then the next story is going to be like, this is the product of the people who made Tony, which hopefully like everyone's, it seems like everyone's on board to make a sequel. It seems like everyone's down. We'll get back to that. <laughs> but I, I want to say two things. The first thing is like, I knew generally what it was going to be and I was surprised there was so much Tony and the only reason for that was four years ago I was doing a pop culture podcast and David Chase put out an announcement through HBO that they were making the movie and it was going to cover the Newark riots and it was going to be centered on Junior, Dickie Moltisante and Lydia and I was like okay so like in my mind Tony didn't really even play a part Mm -hmm. and so I was surprised when they elevated him in the movie but I mean that's just me like being a soprano super nerd like in a way sure sure I gotcha I think uh uh, oh well, I was gonna say I think when they when they made the announcement that uh, the Gandolfini's son is gonna actually play Tony, that led a lot of people to believe that that that's gonna be the uh, the the main character, if you will, uh, just because it was such a such a unique circumstance. I think that's the big pull in too is uh, it's and, and he sure, did sure. Yeah. ten out of ten, man. I think everyone. And I'm going to probably get hated for saying this. I think everyone but Syl did such a great job. I, I love Syl, but, you know, everyone's a 10. Syl's character is on 12. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they really went over the top with Syl's yeah. character. But and, he's always over the top. I know. So like, that's why this it's This is like, a guy right, who's, right. like, regularly, like, every time I get out, they pull they me pull back, me back in. in. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is, like, when we went to the movies, <laughs> it was really funny. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 not that part. Something else. So I go and get my popcorn. I get my soda. I settle in. Movies at seven ten. It's like seven oh eight. I finally see like Jeremiah drive up. Like looks for a parking space. Doesn't see one in the <laughs> loop behind us. I see him go into the parking garage. Now there's stairs that are like right next to the walkway. He like parks all the way on the opposite side. And I can oh, and there's I know there's spaces because I just parked. And I watched him run all the way <laughs> across. That's awesome. Down the stairs I, i'm saving the other part for right, whenever right. you want to bring it all right up. i'll bring it i want to bring it up right uh, now uh stan let's do it what do you think multisanti means okay i know this because i was talking about i so i mentioned the other day that i watched part of it over the weekend and i wasn't really vibing on it and um but i, I had other stuff going on i was like no i want to like sit down and watch it all the way through you know without obstruction or whatever so the second time you know i started it I watched it through. I loved it. And I was texting my wife and she, so she texted me. She already revealed what it means. But yeah, so it, it's many saints. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. did not yeah. fucking know that. I, I, did, I didn't know and that. Until, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're sitting outside of the theater talking about it. And I was saying the same thing you just said, where I was like, I really thought it was going to be more about Tony. And then he's like, what do you think? Multisanti means and I'm like I don't fucking know and he's like okay. many saints and I'm like ah oh, damn <laughs> well is, is that I mean aside from 
from me and Jeremiah here just being completely oblivious. Is that like was that intended to be like common knowledge? No, Maltesanti means many things. Okay, okay. If I'm being honest, the funny thing was that like it has its roots in Latin, and it's like not I mean, multi sante. It's like kind of there. Okay, it's kind of there, I, I but guess, like I, guess, I just sure, didn't sure. put it together. Let me put it this way: like, Spanish, I guess it was funny that like my Mexican <laughs> friend didn't put it together, and I put it together no, being yeah, this weird either. white dude. A like, Salvadorian, sure, sure. Yeah, it was just it was the way you were just like hitting your head all of a sudden when I said that. Yeah, I was shocked because I was like, "Damn, I should have been able to put that together." Right. If it was pronounced like a, a, a multisante or whatever, then maybe I would. It, I could have made the connection. Yeah. Fair, fair, yeah. But there, I mean, it's it's supposed to be the the Italian pronunciation, right? So it, sure, it's all from the right, same right. Latin. But anyway, no, I, I also took Latin derivative. in high school and just enough wow. Spanish to ask to go to the bathroom. Maybe like very <laughs> Bun, very <no>. basic <laughs> things. So okay, what are the rules? Don't make saints out of criminals. <laughs> Say it to yourself. This is the last time I steal something. Oh my god, that's a rule, right? Right. I like how they brought that up too. Ah, and the vending machines thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they sure. only bring that up once, I think. Is the title of the movie said in the movie? I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure they say many, and then they say Multisanti, so... And they say New York, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm sure they say... Oh, Maybe not... And, uh, <laughs> you could cut it together to yeah. be right, as long as you're okay with Multisanti. Yeah, right, so. the many Multisantis of New York. <laughs> uh, does it end at the right moment? Yeah, I think I love yeah. this ending, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I dug the ending, I think... One of you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, when we were talking about, oh, I thought it, Tony was was going to be more of a, a main main role, but at the end, it kind of comes full circle, and you're like, oh, this shows why Tony is who he is. And and do, and do we even get a um, a Christopher like a, a narrative at the end where he says, uh, you know, I, I went that and that's how and this I is why for, this is why I went to hell for Tony, yeah, for Tony, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I thought that that was really. Um, you know, that was really powerful at that point in time, you know, that narration there just to show like, this is why Tony is the way he is. And this is, and, and this is how it Tony affects is the way Chrissy. He is. Cause it's like, right. that's yeah. how Chris ends up going down his path as well. By the way, while we're talking about that narration, I like that they still make Chrissy dumb when he's doing the narration. Like he's talking at one point. And I mean, Can think I about just the say fact that he's, he's from the afterlife when he's talking about this, but he's like talking about that time that Neil Diamond was on the moon. That's <laughs> Neil Armstrong. <laughs> I, uh, I've listened oh my to, God, that. I've listened to three or four different podcasts and interviews with Michael Imperioli and random Sopranos people. I think he's just like that. <laughs> Honestly, you like think just dumb? I think he literally is just like that. Like just hearing him on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I'm like, wow, they just like let him be himself, huh? On this TV show, like <laughs> that's awesome. Like I think, I think other that's than why the, it comes off naturally, man. Yeah, other than the junkie <laughs> aspect, I think like. Chrissy's pretty much just Michael Imperioli. Uh, does the story continue? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope to God. For sure. Please. Yeah, so David Chase said he was interested in exploring a story about Tony in his 20s, but only if he could write it with his former Sopranos writer, Terrence Winter. Winter was interviewed later and said he would do it in a heartbeat. So, oh, Yeah, maybe. it's probably going to happen. And, I mean, he signed the thing with HBO, too. So, like... Yeah, it, it, you think it's going to happen? I, I, I feel like I saw some... Uh, some dialogue on social media over the weekend that maybe this wasn't as uh, 
successful a box office hit as they had hoped or wanted it to be. So the opening weekend was $5 million. It was a $50 million budget. But before everybody goes, it was on HBO and all of the HBO. And that changes everything. Yep, everything that's been going on to HBO Max at the box office has bombed with box office numbers. But they did that because they were trying to strengthen HBO Max, which was not getting the subscribers they wanted to. Sure. And like this was watched by more households than any other thing HBO Max oh, yeah. has done. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, Interesting. I, think, okay. I think absolutely. I mean, in a world wow. where we get people that want the Snyder Cut to be released, I absolutely yes, yes. think that like we're gonna get a sequel very cool <laughs> who's the azv mvp of this i think it's vera farmega she just kills it in this movie good sure 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 if, if we could do if we could break the fourth wall a little bit i might say you know just just off the top of my head if you ask me tomorrow my answer might be different but maybe ray Liotta. if we break the fourth wall a little bit the way he played you know essentially the, the this character that looked identical but had two completely different contrasting personalities and he did it so well you have the the one guy who's an arrogant asshole, just loud, screaming all the time. Very Henry Hill on Coke, right? Yes, yes. And then you have the brother who's more laid back, more reserved, smarter, uh, looks at the bigger picture, not as loud, not as uh, obnoxious, if you will. I think he did great. Like I said, I was a little weirded out or, you know, it just kind of took me off guard. I was like, what the fuck is going on Where they have Ray Liotta playing two roles? I guess if you're paying the man whatever he asked for, which I'm sure is a premium, you know, I, I, I'd probably say he was probably the most expensive actor to, to get on the uh, on the movie, uh, if I were to guess. Man, I got to think Vera Farmiga at this point. Yeah, okay. She has had you, you a may, massive right. string of hits, but uh, he's sure. got to be close, I think, just because that's the guy you want to plug into this movie, and he's got to know that, so. Right. Top three. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he killed it. He he was versatile in uh, in in his in his roles, for sure. In the same movie, even though I talk shit on him, probably sell. <laughs> Honestly. No, 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 no. Hold up. Sills toupee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nice, nice. Very good. Okay, so we talked about the box office. You can ask yourself whether this was a success or not. I think it's answered by David Chase got a five-year overall deal developing content for HBO, HBO Max, and Warner Brothers. So uh, that's why I think it's very go. likely we're going to get another Sopranos movie. And I think it's likely we're going to get some other things with David Chase. So guys like a master TV writer. So let him do his thing. Let him cook. I hope he makes one more movie and then never touches it again. I really hope. Can I, I, can I be real with you? Yeah. You can just stuff that hope into your pillow and, and shoot it. Because uh, whether <laughs> no, I mean Chase, with the Sopranos. But whether Chase does something or not, this is really, really powerful IP and it's not going away. Like they're going to. whether oh, He's yeah. involved in it or not, they're gonna just keep making okay, it. So they, they should are. they should remaster the PS2 game for the new consoles and then <laughs> stop. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. <laughs> uh, so some reviews: David Sims of the Atlantic. A number of the observations about the structure of gang life that the Many Saints of New York bumps up against are compelling, but the film is a victim of its own compression, telling a season's worth of stories in two hours. I walked out of the theater itching to rewatch a show that inspired it, but I'm not sure that's a compliment. And then Justin Sales of The Ringer said one of the most sage lines ever spoken on The Sopranos came from the mouth of one of its least reliable narrators. The dead have nothing to say to us. Janice tells a morning Bobby Bacala in season four. It's our own narcissism that makes us think they even care. And while that might be true, the go 
ghosts made a lot of noise on the show, whether it was disposed foes appearing in a dream sequence or children falling into the same patterns of trauma as their parents. In The Many Saints of Newark, David Chase gives a true voice to the dead for the first time. It turns out they only occasionally have interesting things to say, but after so many years spent away from this world, simply hearing those voices is enough. So kind of everything I read was like, yeah, it's good, but it's not so good. Like everything was kind of mixed that I read. So I feel like there needs to be another piece of the story for it to be a whole, like I want there to be two movies and then that be the whole story, man. Like I really feel like we need that Tony fucking going guns and blazes against Harold's crew and earning his stripes and becoming a made man and just having that lead up to the Sopranos, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of story to be told before episode one of the Sopranos from where this leaves off. Yeah. Like Jackie betraying the family. Like there's, there's so many other things I was expecting to see in here that didn't happen. That I'm like, fuck. Like it's like, they talked about, Stuff that I wanted to happen that didn't happen, you know? See, this is where you could tell you guys binge this show because you didn't sit with it week to week, year to year, where you're, like, thinking of how something's going to play out, and it seems very obvious how it's going to play out, and it never fucking plays out the way you think it's going to play out, right? Sure. Like, I mean, I'll give you an example. You know that that one guy in season two who's, like, stepping on Tony's toes, I think it's Richie. Like, yeah, Richie (sighs) April. You know he's going to fucking die. But you assume that Tony's going to kill him or have one of his guys kill him. And then when he hits Janice, which you don't see coming, and then Janice shoots him in the fucking head. Yes. Nobody you saw that You see shit that coming. coming from a mile away, low key. When... Shut up. You, you saw it no, from no, no, a no. YouTube video. No, like, no. don't tell me you no, saw no, no, that no. coming. No, you see it from a mile away <laughs> because when they're banging, she has the gun in his mouth because that's the only way he can Oh, buzz. I mean, it's foreshadowing. Like, but like, that's like but low key. You, like... But be honest, man. You didn't, you didn't think that was going to no, happen. No, I absolutely thought it was going to be Tony, but it's like that yeah. little. But that's, 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 that's foreshadowing. That's too, my that. point with The Sopranos is this movie, like, I was not shocked watching this because like david chase is really good at making me satisfied but not delivering what i think when jackie jr died i think that was the thing that shocked me the most because it's one of those things where it's like tony's like he's fine we made it okay you know he's fine but ralph he didn't call off his fucking his buddy to like not murder jackie jr so we just gets iced anyways and he's like okay and it's like, you know, it's like, damn, that's so fucked up because it's like he totally didn't need to die. You know, I just yeah. I don't know. That shocked me. So influences. Uh, we already talked about The Godfather, too. So I won't totally go back over that. But I do want to mention one other thing. The whole thing behind The Godfather, too, is it involves the mob <sighs> boss eventually murdering somebody who he loves quite a bit. And it's very, very emotional. And uh, that happens in a couple of different ways in this movie. So I think like that kind of paves the way for something like this movie to come out. What it influenced, if you count the show, pretty much every premiered TV show at this point, they all have a debt to The Sopranos. I think this is a little too new to say it's influenced any art that we're going to be able to count on, right? Sure, sure. I, I think it will, though, for sure. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, Other source material. So we know about The Sopranos. We talked a lot about it. Um, I want to point out Ivanhoe here. So there's a part where Dickie finally comes over to talk to Tony. 
and he's reading a, a comic book for Ivanhoe. And uh, the thing about the comic books is the Saxons are resentful of Norman rule in that story. The Normans must learn to overcome the violence in their own codes of chivalry, okay? Junior is like the Saxons. He is resentful of Dickie for taking over the crew while Johnny is locked away, acting as a surrogate father for Tony and making fun of his fall. Dickie is like the Normans. Despite his violent intentions helping him in his work and personal life, he must distance himself from Tony so he doesn't turn out like him. That just makes sense to me that they're kind of calling out what's going to happen in this movie by him reading that comic book. So did I sell this Blu-ray to settle medical debt? I did not. Instead, I played numbers and I kept losing and got in deep. Eventually, Tony (laughs) beat me to death screaming, you fucking degenerate gambler. (laughs) After he murdered me, he gave my wife his baby and pocket change. Tone, tone. I just had a bad streak. Just, just give me another chance. This is my livelihood. <laughs> tone. Remember that time I hid and you kind of beat those guys up that were coming at me? It was fine. How does this movie remind Jeremiah of Neon Genesis Evangelion? Oh, my God. You said it perfectly this time, but. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> It doesn't. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, Stan, do you want to do you want to plug your band or anything else? So I'm in a band called Terminal Nation. We got a new split EP with a band called Cruelty from Japan coming out early next year. Vinyl delays are, are ridiculous. I guess the supply chain, everything is is feeling the burn of COVID right now. But uh, but yeah, so that's coming out next year. Find all our information at terminalnation.net. All the social media links there. Uh, yeah, that's it. I appreciate you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for coming so much, on. Stan. I really appreciate it. Yes, yes. I think I'm going to probably start season one of The Sopranos here in a, in a, at some point this weekend. So th- watching the movie has, has gotten me want to yeah, revisit right, it for sure. Right. I'm wanting to really Check bad. out, uh, <laughs> if you're into podcasts, Talking Sopranos too, because that has uh, Pussy and uh, Chrissy, and they go through like every episode. It's super sick. Nice. Nice. I'll have to check it out. The Cosmic Void was created and hosted by Alex Small and Jeremiah Perez. The theme song was written and produced by Tom Smith. Follow Jeremiah Perez on Instagram at Vex Till Death. Follow me, the show, and Redwood Sound Labs on Instagram at NSF underscore network or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash not safe for network. You can read short reviews of every movie I watch on Letterboxd under Alex Big Small. And join us next week when we're back talking about horror with the original Toby Hooper classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers. 